everybody online just tuning in. And hey, if you're new, we're actually kind of in a conversation about the soul. You know, we've been talking for the last several weeks about the condition of our soul and how important it is for us to process our soul and to get to a place of emotional health. That's what we've been talking about. You know, your, your body can be in perfect shape and your soul can be dying. You, you can feel like I'm good with God, but your soul is in anguish. And so we're, we're trying to dive into that complex part of who we are. And, uh, you know, I thought this week is, this is a special week, especially if you're a follower of Jesus. This is that week that we, we call Holy Week or Passion Week. It's that week where we think about what Jesus did in his journey to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. And regardless of what you believe about Jesus, maybe you're just, someone invited you and you're, I don't know, I just thought it would come. Can I tell you just the very idea that somebody would give their life for somebody else? There's no better picture of love in our world than that. And do you know that Jesus had to deal with emotional pain? You know, Jesus had to face something when he faced the cross that I think a lot of us can connect to, and that is the, the hurting soul. And if you wouldn't mind, just as you're standing there, I want to read to you just a couple verses from that night that he would be arrested. And I believe there's something in this that God wants to use to speak to our soul today. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 36, it says, Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, Sit here while I go over there to pray. And he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Today, I want to talk about soul pain. And I know this, that all of us at some point in life, many of you right now are dealing with soul pain, where you've been hurt, You've been wounded. You've had to deal with some really hard things. You're in the middle of a battle. I, I know this, none of us are exempt from dealing with pain of the soul. And my hope and prayer is that today we could kind of lean into something that maybe is a little hard. If you would just permit me one week of this series to just kind of step into maybe a little bit of your pain and see if we can't work with Jesus as he dealt with a suffering soul, what does it look like for us to face that with him? And so I want to pray for us as we begin. Father, I thank you for your presence right now. And God, I thank you that in the middle of our lowest moments, you are there. That God, you're there when we're on a mountain peak, but you're also there when we're down in a valley. That God, that you are with us through every battle that we face. And I pray God somehow through your presence and through your word today, that God, you would reach to the very broken, hurting soul. Lord, the person that's dealing with things from 20 years ago, I can't get away from. God, maybe there's something today that is gonna unlock a hurting soul. Heal a hurting and broken soul, find freedom in you. And so God, I pray that you would use your words today. You would use my words, but God, I wanna get out of the way so that your spirit can speak right to people. God, we praise you, 
We give you glory for what you did for us on that cross 2,000 years ago this week. We celebrate your grace and your forgiveness in our lives. And all of God's people said with me, amen. Come on, let's thank him one more time for it. All right, you can be seated. It is that week, and I'm excited to, to share this message with you. I feel like God laid on my heart as I was thinking about Easter week. You know, there's a part of the Christian church culture that I have grown to really dislike. Uh, there's a lot of things that I like about church. I mean, my, my life and my living has been in church, and, and I believe so much in it, but there are also things that I've seen in Christian church culture that I don't really like. And for whatever reason, sometimes it, it just seems like that when it comes to the Christian faith, that it can be presented, I don't know, so put together, very pristine, packaged, uh, happy, faith-filled, never have any problems, always live full of hope, excitement, expectation of what's yet to come. Sometimes when it comes to the, the, the picture of our faith that we get in church culture is that it, it, it's all perfect, or shall I say it's plastic. You know what I mean by plastic? Like, did any of you play with dolls when you were a kid? Did anybody play with dolls? Maybe like Ken, guys, did you play with Ken? Girls, you play with uh, Barbie? Uh, you know, dolls, like, I don't even know. Do kids still play with dolls today? I don't even know. Do they only play with iPads? You know, you see two-year-olds and they just have an iPad, no, no doll. Uh, maybe that's because I don't even know if, like, Ken and Barbie were canceled because I don't know. They probably did something wrong, you know? Always perfect, perfect measurements and plastic face and perfect hair and perfect eyes and everything's so perfect, and so we probably just canceled them. But... You know, what I'm saying is that sometimes I have found within the church culture, because it is so faith-filled and full of hope, that there is this feeling that I have got to live very, like a perfectly put-together life. That, that that's really what it looks like. By the way, could I just say that one of the reasons, if you've been new to this church and you're like, I come to church here and people dress so down. And maybe you wondered why it is in this church that, that people don't dress in traditional Sunday attire, if you know what I mean. Ladies wearing dresses and guys wearing suits and all this stuff. Well, the, the reason for that is not because we don't consider these moments like really important to God and we don't consider these moments holy. We, we do. We think these are incredibly mo important moments in our life and with God. That's, that's not why. We just happen to believe that God is more obsessed with your, your soul than he is your suit. That God would, would rather you show up at church and not, like, here's what we do when it comes to our Sunday best is a lot of times in church culture, I've been, I've been around it, is that we look a certain way on the outside, but we feel completely different on the inside. And so we'll show up at church with plastic smile on our face, and we'll kind of act like we've got life all together, and God is good, and everything's good, and my world's good, and I'm full of faith and hope, and I can't wait for tomorrow. I wish Easter would come tomorrow. I wish we could celebrate Easter. i like, can we just drop the facade sometimes? Like, we just believe in being real and authentic here. And, it, and, and sometimes, can I just admit something as a pastor and as a Christian leader, that sometimes we don't really know how to handle brokenness well. We don't. Like, we have our own share, but, 
y'all, like, I, we feel the weight of all of your guys' challenges. And we want to. That's what we're here for. I want to pray for your stuff, and, and I want to walk with you. And that's what we want to do as a leadership team. That's, that's what this community's for. But if I could just say, sometimes we haven't known how to, how to really handle, like, some of the things and the crises and the things you guys go through. And, and so we just naturally lean on what we know, which is the Bible. And that's great. Like this is a source of hope and I'm all for this. But what I'm saying is sometimes we, we don't know how to wield this in sensitive moments. And, and so I like to say it this way. Sometimes what, what pastors and Christian leaders can do is we slap verses on situations like Band-Aids. Oh, you're bleeding. I got a verse for that. Let me patch you up with this verse. Just, I want to admit it. Like, we're not really good. And there are some verses that I think about. We've got Christian cliches, and we've got some faith-filled posters. Man, gosh, there's some, you want to see some posters out there, a guy climbing a mountain, and there's a verse right there for anything you're dealing with. And, and, and we've got what I call bumper sticker verses. They're the really, really popular verses that everybody knows, and we slap them on the back of our car, and, and we declare them in every situation, and I am all about, and I do believe that we need God's word to speak into every situation of our life. I'm just saying, sometimes it just gets misapplied like a Band-Aid. You, you know, like if you're facing the hardest week ever, and you would tell us, and you're like, this week is going to be so awful because my ex is taking me to court and trying to get custody of my kids, and I'm afraid I'm not going to get to see my kids again. And my boss is telling me that if I miss another day of work that I'm going to get fired, and then I'm not going to be able to take care of them, and then the judge is going to take them away, and I don't even know how I'm going to make it through this week. Well, you know what? Let me just tell you something. I know that you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. So let's go do it this week. Uh-huh. I mean, I know that's true, but maybe you just didn't need a Band-Aid put on that, you know? In fact, uh, we, we're good. We got a lot of great Band-Aid verses. You know, if you're staring down an eviction notice because you lost your job, that, that, you know, a pastor might or a friend might just turn and look at you and say, I know, but, but my God shall supply all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And you didn't even get the full essence of that. You just heard riches in God and said, oh, dear Lord, please. But it may not work out that way. It is, we slap a, a bumper sticker verse and we put it on coffee mugs and we stick them on situations that are really painful. Do you know what I think is maybe the granddaddy of them all? It's like, uh, and, and this is in competition with some really good verses, you know? Like you're struggling and somebody will quote Jeremiah 29, 11 to you all the time. God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and to give you a future and a hope. I get all that, but right now life sucks, Okay. I, 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 need to, I need to deal with right now. Let's not worry about tomorrow. But the granddaddy of them all, in my mind, is Romans 8.28. Does anybody here know Romans 8.28? Raise your hand if you know Romans 8.28. I'm not going to ask you to quote it. I'm just curious if you know it. But it is a verse for all verses. If there's a pastor that never knows what to say in any situation, be careful. Because he'll probably whip out Romans 8.28. In every hard situation, what is Romans 8.28? It says, and we know. See, that's the perfect little lead-in line when you're counseling somebody. I know this is bad, but we know that in all things, everybody say all things, all things that God works them to the what? God works it for the, oh, God works it for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, listen, I believe that's true, but here's what I found is that when we're dealing with emotional pain, we have real selective hearing. More than likely, 
we might just hear, in all things, it works for good. In all things, it's good. In every situation, it's good, right? So I know your dad left you, but it's good. Yeah, no. I, I know that your, your spouse just walked away from you and left you with a mess financially, but it's good. Like, like what I'm saying is that sometimes as humans, we don't know how to process emotional hurt and pain. And so I just want to say, on, like, I believe we need God's word in those moments. Don't get me wrong. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying sometimes we have not known how to handle it very well. And so we, we, we just slap a Band-Aid on it, send you on your way with a verse and say, there you go. And sometimes what you don't need is a, a Band-Aid verse. What you just needed was a shoulder to lean on. Sometimes what, what you don't need is, is a sermon. You, you just need somebody to sit with you in grief and pray. And sometimes we as humans, I don't think, know how to handle emotional hurt very well. But I think we need to. This is part of our journey in this series, Soul Work, is, is a, a journey to us kind of allowing ourselves to really look at the soul and deal with pain. We all have soul pain, every person. There is no one listening to me that is exempt from soul pain. We're all going to deal with it, and we all have to kind of face it. And so here's what we do. Uh, sometimes we just ignore it rather than triage our soul. Let me just tell you something. You will never get to a place of emotional health if you do not address your emotional hurt. And being emotionally unhealthy will destroy every relationship you have. It will destroy your joy. It will rob you of peace if we do not peel back the layers, lift up the hood, and dive into the complexity of our pain. We will never get to a place of health and maturity. So that's why, that's why we're talking about it today. And today is a little heavier because we're dealing with hurt. And hurt's heavy. It's really heavy. And here's what I want to say to every person is that we in this church are intentional about not creating a facade like we are perfect people and we have it all together. And I want you to know that this is a place where it is okay to not be okay. Please hear me. You can, you can be angry at God, and I would love to have you here every Sunday. You, you can be so uh, mad at your situation, and you could be someone who says, I don't believe there is a God. For whatever reason, can I just tell you, it's okay to be here. I, I, I would say over and over, it is okay to not be okay. Because this is a place of grace where you can show up broken, hurting, messed up. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to put on a fake smile. You don't have to put on some different outfit to show up. Come hurting. It's okay. We're okay with that. That's why we need a community like this. And, and I want to talk about emotional hurt today. And I know we've all faced it. But what I won't do is I will not try by the time we're done in a few minutes to put a red bow on your pain. I won't do that. And I'm not going to try to give you a reason or justification for it. 
I feel like sometimes as pastors, as preachers, we feel like, whoa, everybody's looking at us. I gotta give you a reason for it. I can't give you a reason for why your pregnancy failed and your child died. I can't. I can't give you a reason, and I will not try to, for some of the loss and the tragedy and the heartache that you have faced. And I will not stand up here and try to Make sense of it. Can I just tell you, there's a lot of things that happen to us in this world that I cannot make sense of. And so if you're hoping for that today, I'm sorry, I can't give you that. But what I do want to do is I want to invite you into a process. I want to invite you, not just with me, but with Jesus to process your pain, your soul pain. That's all I can do is ask you to process it. Not run from it, not hide from it but actually say, I'm gonna address it. And I'm so grateful that we have a moment that was preserved for us, like Matthew recorded of Jesus in his greatest moment of soul pain. What I read to you earlier was this moment that Jesus has right before he's arrested. This week as we would celebrate Easter, we would reflect on that moment and Jesus He processed his pain. That's what I read to you. And I want you to understand something about Jesus. He knows pain. Some of you go, I've I've gone through so much so bad. And there's no point comparing what we go through with what Jesus went through. But I just want you to know Jesus went through incredible pain. Most of us experience pain after something bad happens. Jesus experienced pain here before it happened. This is what what we see as a double-edged sword of being Jesus. He's God. We talked about a couple weeks ago, he didn't have tainted DNA from man. He's God. He had God DNA, but he also had human DNA from his mom. He's fully God and he's fully man, right? Just so we understand, he's not half and half. You don't put him in your coffee. Jesus is fully God and he's fully man. Here's what that means. There's the double-edged sword of this, the divinity and humanity. In one moment, Jesus can do the miraculous. He can raise a dead boy to life. He did in a town called Nain. He can heal somebody with blind eyes. He did several times. He, he, can, uh, he can address people that have skin diseases. He did. Jesus knew what people were thinking, would speak to it oftentimes. Jesus knew what was going to happen because he was the son of God. He had told his followers, I'm going to the cross. He knew it was going to happen, but yet he still had to walk it out. Can I ask you a question? What do you think's worse? Not knowing something bad is gonna happen to you, but then dealing with it, or knowing something bad's gonna happen to you and still having to deal with it? What would you rather, be in a car today, later get into an awful accident and end up in the hospital? Or would you rather know that when you get into the car and drive, you're gonna get into an awful accident and end up in the hospital? I don't wanna know, right? I want you to, I, I just want us to recognize that in this moment, Jesus knew what he was about to face. And he felt an anguish in his soul. It's the, humanity of Jesus that enables me to connect with him, maybe even more than a a God I've never seen. I want to reread verse um, 38 to you as he describes his soul. He said to them, my soul is what? Everybody say it out loud. My soul is 
Come on, let's say it a little bit more like we understand this moment. My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. This is the moment right before Jesus is arrested. If you know the story of the Last Supper, he had had that meal with his disciples. And and then Jesus did something interesting. He took his disciples from the dinner table to a garden. I don't know if you remember the name of the garden, but he took them to this garden that is the Garden of Gethsemane. Okay, now I've actually been there. It's an actual place. This is not just a, a name of a, you know, just to remember it. This is an actual garden. It's a place where Jesus went with his disciples before he was arrested. And I got to go to Israel a couple of years ago. If you ever get a chance, please make sure you do. And they took us to the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, as it's been preserved and we're most likely where they believe that it was. And while we were there and we kind of had this moment, like a, a moment there at this garden, um, I snapped a picture of it and I brought it. Let me just show you. I'll stick it up. But this is a picture of the Garden of Gethsemane, if you ever go to Jerusalem. And if you'll notice, it's not a garden with a bunch of Easter lilies. Is that what, what we always decorate our churches with? It's, it's not Easter lilies. Um, I get it because this is the garden. But it's a garden. It's a grove of olive trees. Right? And these olive trees actually are really, really old. These are not Jesus old, 2,000 years, but they're very, very old. Uh, And this is the exact garden or place where they anticipate that Jesus had this soul moment. And what's interesting about the Garden of Gethsemane, this word Gethsemane is a combination of two words, which you get like a press. Like it's where they would take a press and they would press oil from olives, This is an olive grove where they would pick olives and stick it into a press. And what do you do with a press with an olive? You crush the olive and it squeezes the oil out of it that they can use for cooking and olive oil. They use it. They use it for lamps. They use it for all kinds of things. That's what happened in this olive grove. Now, I I don't know if you, you maybe find this ironic. And we could maybe find it ironic, but I do not consider it a coincidence That Jesus, when his soul was being pressed, went to a place of pressing. That when he felt like the weight of it was crushing, the emotional pain of what he was about to go through, he went to a place of pressing. I have a question for all of us today. Where do you go when your soul feels pressed? Where do you go? Where do you go when you feel crushed? When you feel abandoned, when you feel, as Paul says, destroyed in many ways, where do you go when you feel the weight of your soul from being hurt or having disappointment? Or where do you go? Because here's what I have discovered. We all run somewhere. We all go somewhere. We all run. The moment we feel pain, we can't help it, but we all run somewhere. Sometimes it's not a physical place. It's an emotional place. Can I just tell you what I do? My mind begins to run when I get hurt. My mind begins to create worlds. Does your mind ever do this? I have a vivid imagination, as you can imagine. And so my mind begins to create worlds, worlds where I can hide 
Worlds where, uh, um, worlds where I can get even. The screenwriter of my story begins to change the narrative on how I can get back and how I can set them straight and how I can get back on. And so my mind begins to create worlds. I'm asking you, where do you run when your soul is pressed? Do you run to the garden of self-pity? Do you run to the garden of self-destruction? Do you run to the garden of cutting yourself, burning yourself to numb the pain? Do you run to another drink? Do you run to these pain pills? Because I can't, I can't feel this way anymore. Do you run to a harbor of anger? What, where do you run when your soul is hurting? Here's what I want us to understand is that we all run. We all go somewhere when we're hurt. And I want you to understand, whenever you run to something, you always run away from something else, right? Whenever you run to something, please understand, you always are gonna run away from something else. Maybe the issue isn't just what we run to, but maybe it's what we run away from. And in this story, as we look at Jesus, who's dealing with soul pain and the pressure and the ache and the hurt and the emotional pain of it, Jesus shows us how to process this the best way. In fact, there are two things specifically that we tend to run away from that Jesus showed us he ran toward that I wanna speak to. And I would encourage you to write this down because if it's not now, there's gonna be a time when you're gonna face something and you're gonna remember this moment in this message. Here's what I found. We tend to run from community rather than to it. We run from community. We run from people. We, I don't want to be around anybody. I don't want to go to church today because, you know, all these people, and they're going to be smiling, and they're going to be like, oh, it's good to see you, and, oh, you know, and they're going to be so happy and chipper, but my life and my world is so miserable. I just don't want to be around people. You ever felt like that? I don't want to go to our friends' gathering. I don't want to go to my circle. I don't want to really get together with family because I'm struggling and I'm depressed, and I just want to be alone. What do we do? We often run to isolation and we run away from community. Can I just tell you something? Maybe if you're not in that season, please listen to this. That's incredibly dangerous. I think about the prophet Elijah. Elijah, he was one of the most well-known Old Testament prophets that did miracle after miracle, incredible miracles. And he did this amazing like miracle on a mountain called Mount Carmel in 1 Kings chapter 18. God brought fire from heaven, burned up an, an altar, an offering. It's just a crazy story. And then he predicted that it was going to rain, and then it did rain. I mean, miracle after miracle. But then after all that, and in that moment, he got a threat from the queen of the land, Jezebel. And she said, Elijah, by the end of today, I'm going to have your head. I'm going to kill you. And here's this man of faith that runs in fear. And I want to read to you just, just two verses. You don't have to turn there. First Kings 19, it says, Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the what? Into the wilderness. What, what did Elijah do? Here he is and is, he's pressed. And so he leaves his servant in Beersheba, and he goes a day's journey alone into the wilderness. And if I were to keep reading, he lays down under a broom bush, and he says, I want to die. 
Because whenever you are hurt and your soul aches, what we wanna do, the first thing we wanna do is we wanna run away from people. But maybe Jesus wanted to show us something in this moment. Because here he is about to face a moment where he will deal with being alone more than any other time. Nobody else is gonna be on the cross with him. Nobody else would bear the weight of sin and guilt and God's wrath on him. Nobody else, but here's Jesus who knows this one moment where I have to face all this alone, the last thing I want is to be alone. So what does he do? He takes his disciples from dinner and he says, go with me to this garden. And then when they get to the garden, he takes his three closest friends, Peter, James, and John. And he says, hey, guys, come with me a little bit. You know, you don't have to tell everybody your deepest hurts, but you need to tell somebody. You are not designed to carry the weight of the emotional pain of this world on your own. You were not designed for it. You need somebody in your life that you trust that you can share the weight of your soul with. That's what Jesus showed us. You know, in 2017, I, I shared about this in week one. I, I went through just a really, um, just a, a difficult emotional season where I, I felt my soul bear some unhealth I'd never felt before. And I, I had thoughts and emotions that scared me. And most of y'all didn't know this. And I'm on a break and I'm thinking, I don't want to come back. I'm, I'm, I'm having these thoughts that my best days were behind me, not ahead of me. Why even bother? I mean, I just, my, I don't know what happened totally, but my just soul just blew up. And I'm standing here today in a much healthier place, listen, because I told some people who were really close to me. If I tried to carry that by myself, there's no way I would have survived it. But I told my wife sitting on the front porch one morning, I said, I don't know why, but I feel this way and I have these awful thoughts. I told my mentor on the phone, I, I said, I don't know why and I don't know what to do with this. I told a counselor over and over again, what did it do? It enabled me to process my hurt, process my pain. If Jesus needed community for his soul, why wouldn't we need it? And so I want to say to you that if you're in a place where you're hurting, if you're in a place where you're struggling, if you're in a place where you're doubting the existence of God, if you're in a place where you're angry at God, if you're in a place where you're just frustrated at life, if you're in a place where you don't know if your marriage is going to make it, can I just say this is a community for you and we will embrace you with open arms. And if you don't have a community that you can share your soul with, you can find one right here in this church. And we're all broken, and we're all a bit messed up, and so you don't have to pretend. And I'd say if you don't have anybody close enough to you to confide in, that's what we have a pastoral team for. Please ask. We're here to serve you. This, this, is, this is so important. You see, we, we want to run to isolation, but Jesus showed us in his, in his darkest moments, he invited community with him. Not only do we tend to run from community rather than to it, here's the second one. We run from God rather than to him. Like, let's be honest that when we get hurt, we get mad at God. 
Have you ever noticed that if somebody else betrays you, we tend to feel like God betrayed us. When somebody else hurts us, we, we, we get mad at God. Why is that? Have you ever wondered? Because what we think about God. It's because what we want to believe about God. It's because we're looking for someone to blame. And we, sometimes life is so awful, the doctor tells you you have cancer, and you don't have a face to put with your anger. You, you don't know, you know how I can, like, I, I don't know how to fight this enemy. Yeah, I can do treatments, but I don't know how to deal with the enemy with my soul. And so what do we do? We go, all right, God, you're the only one up there. Surely you could have stopped all this. And so for whatever reason, rather than running to God, we run away from God in our hurt, but not Jesus. What did Jesus do? Can I show you this in verse 39? The same passage, it says, he went on a little further, took James and John and Peter with them, and it said he bowed with his face to the ground. Notice this, praying. Have you ever noticed that oftentimes when you're hurting the most, the last thing you want to do is pray? I know that feeling. But what does Jesus do? He prays and he says, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus did not run away from his father in this moment, but what did he do? He ran to him. He ran to him with his pain, not from him. And this is really, really important for us to see because I have watched as a pastor that when someone's marriage is struggling, they don't want to talk to God. They don't want to be around community, and they disconnect. When I'm battling something, depression, mental illness, I don't want to tell anybody, and I don't want to talk to God. When I'm angry because something seems unfair, this is, this is what we do. What happens is, is that our pain always leads us to questions. This is what we need to recognize. Our pain will always lead to questions. And we begin to say, God, why? Why? Why did you let this happen to me? God, why didn't you heal her? Why didn't you answer this prayer? Why didn't you show up when I needed you? Why was I born into this situation? Why do I have to face this? This is what we do. A lot of questions. Can I tell you, Jesus' pain led him to some real questions for God. In fact, Jesus, if you read on in this passage, he went in three different times to his father in prayer. And every time he says the same thing, he says, Here's what he was saying. Isn't there another way, God? That's what he was asking. Come on, there's got to be another way. I don't want to face this. Isn't there some other way that we can do this? What's he doing? He's taking his questions to God. And he doesn't do it just once. Not twice, but three times. Why? Maybe it's a picture for us that in our pain, we might have to keep going back to God with our questions. We might have to keep leaning into God rather than I asked once and I didn't get an answer and I ran away. And I wondered to myself, is he trying to convince his father to change this plan? No. I wonder if he's trying to convince himself to go through with it. And so when we have pain, we have questions for God. Why didn't you? Where are you? How can a good God allow this? You know what's ironic? (laughs) Is that we always have questions for God when we get hurt, 
and yet we still run away. Rather than running to him with our questions, we get mad and run away from him with our questions. And if we are not careful, what happens is, is that it just takes us down a journey in our minds where eventually we stop believing. Can I just tell you that pain and suffering is one of the biggest reasons why people struggle with believing in God. I would find that it's often not even the claims of Christ. It's not even that like challenge of a resurrection that a lot of people have issues with. Do you know what people really have issue with most of the time? It's pain and suffering. How can I reconcile that there is a God when I have had to deal with so much pain? Have you ever felt that way? I promise if this isn't you, you have a friend, a family member, somebody in your life that's, that's asking this question right now. We ask this all the time. How does a good God allow evil and suffering? Right? That's a, that's a legitimate question that we have in life. And I want to just kind of, if I can, very gently, just because some of you, maybe this is a raw thing, but if I could just maybe appeal to your mind for just a moment. We, we, we kind of land sometimes in this place, and some of you, you have landed in a place where you say, I don't know that I believe there is a God anymore because of the pain and suffering in this world. Can I just tell you that the, the presence of pain and evil in our world does not negate the existence of God? These are two totally separate ideas, okay? But the real challenge and why we struggle is because we've always been told in this narrative that there's not just a God, but that God is good and loving. You know, we're told from the very beginning that God is so good that when he created everything, when he made the stars and when he made the plants and when he made the animals and when he made you, that in every one of those moments, God looked at it and he said, it is good. That everything that God created is good. Why? Because that's all God can create. He's good. God is good and he's loving and he's all powerful. This is what we've, this is what we've, we've been told. So the big issue is, how do I believe in a good God when such bad things tend to happen to me? Well, they happen in the world. Could I just ask you to process that rather than run from it? I run into people that from time to time that say they don't believe in God. And when I find that this is the root of it, I have found, found that people stop processing it. They just ran from it. Can I, can I just get you to think about this for a moment? If this is maybe you, and I just want to speak to someone who's feeling like that. When you appeal to some form of justice in this world and say that if there's a good God, then why do bad things happen to me? Can I ask you, where do you even get this idea that life is unfair to you? No, no, no. Well, they did something to, I understand. I'm asking, where do you, what are you appealing to if there is no God? In fact, um, C.S. Lewis, I don't know if you ever heard of him, but C.S. Lewis is probably one of the greatest thinkers of the 20th century. C.S. Lewis was a devout atheist, academic, reason, logic, all these, philosophy, devout atheist. He was. And then something changed in him. And C.S. Lewis would tell you that one of the biggest problems that he had with God was the existence of pain and suffering in the world. And I want to read to you just a quote of just something that he said, and I want you just to process this today. C.S. Lewis said, My argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. Have you ever felt that way? It's just unfair. 
How am I to believe a good God when life is so unfair? He said, but how I got this idea of just and unjust, he said, I'm not sure. A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What, I, what was I comparing this universe to when I called it unjust? What am I appealing to? If the, if the world and the universe is materialistic only and there is no God, there's no divine being, what am I appealing to? This world is all there is. And so the very feeling inside of saying life is unfair would tell you that you're appealing to some version of justice or good in this world. See, I know, but okay, if God is there and he's good, then why doesn't he save me from all the pain? Why do I have to deal with what I've had to deal with? That's, that's what we think sometimes. I would also just say that God never designed this world to be filled with pain like it is. Everything God made was good, including a single tree that he put in the middle of this first garden that was the knowledge of both good and evil. What is so unique about why do we need to have a tree that would give us the knowledge of both good and evil? Why can't it just be about good? Why did it have to be about evil? If God is good, he cannot create evil. Then why is It's because I would argue that that one tree that God gave you and me the greatest gift he could ever give to humanity, and that was the freedom to choose. And I want you to follow me for just a moment, and I'm hoping that maybe you'll see something if you've kind of put blinders on because of your pain. How many of you are parents? If you're a parent, raise your hand. Okay, right? How many of you are just married? Maybe two. It's just if you're married, you don't have any kids, that's fine. I want, I want to include all of that. Those of you that are married, have parents, you're a parent, you have kids. Can I ask this question? I know you love your spouse and love your kids. Have you ever been hurt by your spouse or your kids before? Yes or no? Heck yes. I'll answer out loud for you, you know. Yes. If I were to poll every single person that's watching this now and I would say, have you ever been hurt by someone you love? You would say yes. So I ask you this, because if you would say, God, remove the opportunity of pain God says, okay, I'll remove the opportunity for pain. Guess what else just got removed? The opportunity to love. You see, you will never know love. You know the feeling you get from love? You know the feeling, the euphoria, the, the, the thing that it brings into your life when you fall in love with that one person and that companionship and that peace and that thing that you have? You cannot feel that without the potential of feeling hurt. It doesn't work. Because without it, there's no real feeling of love. I would argue that when God gave us the ability to choose and God gave us the freedom to feel love, what came with it was the ability to get hurt. It's just kind of like, I don't know if you have an insatiable appetite for um, adventure, some of you do. 
where you, I don't know if you love like exploring and you love adventure and it's kind of like, uh, have you ever felt the euphoria of summoning a mountain maybe? Maybe some of you have climbed a mountain, even a small one and the way it feels when you get up and you look at it and you're like, oh my gosh, I just accomplished that. Or maybe if you've ever jumped out of an airplane with a parachute and you love the thrill because you're a thrill person or if you just love roller coasters and you love getting on roller coasters where you feel like you might die, but if you don't die, it's gonna be the greatest ride of your life. Can I just tell you those things that give so much joy and thrill and excitement. Do you know what I just, just described to you? All of those things you could die and get hurt doing. In fact, I would argue that to feel that kind of thrill means you have to put yourself in a place where you could get hurt because people have died trying to climb mountains, jumping out of airplanes, and riding roller coasters. That's why they're of the devil and I don't ride them. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? I'm trying to say that our argument against God is that a good God would allow bad things. And I want you to hear me. God does not cause evil things. But it could be that the world that we're in, the broken, sinful world that we're in, where God gave us the freedom to choose, that came with it. And I know when you think about God being all-powerful, And you're saying God could heal, but he didn't. God, you could have changed the situation, and you couldn't. That's See, that's where it gets hard. If God's so good, then why does he allow that thing? Why don't he just stop it? I've thought that before. When I look at our messed up world and I see senseless violence, like someone walking into a grocery store shooting and killing people, I can't make sense of it. I say, God, why don't you stop it? And then I thought about the cross. And I thought about how everyone at the cross, when Jesus was crucified, thought the same thing. You know what they said? If he really is the son of God, then why don't he save himself? If he really is the son of God, then why don't he rescue himself? Why doesn't his father, in that moment, spare him from the pain? You know, this Friday, we will mark a day that we call Good Friday. I've always wrestled with that term because when I think about what Jesus went through, I just have a hard time saying that's good. But the perspective of Good Friday is not from Jesus. It's from you and me. It's that God, who does not cause evil, but God who is so good, good is all he can do. Good is his nature. Good is all he can create. But this God who is good will somehow take what is evil and use it for our good. That does not explain it, and it will not always bring sense to everything. But what I want you to at least receive today through what Jesus went through is that maybe our posture in in our pain is to run with community toward God. And maybe even when we don't understand, and there, God, is there any other way And he doesn't show up with an answer and he doesn't miraculously heal and he doesn't save the way you want to.
Maybe it's to say, God, then I just submit to your will because I do believe you are good even if my situation is not good. And can I just tell you something that I have seen God bring incredible beauty out of ashes. I don't know if you have. And I don't know that it makes it feel any better because it might not. But I'm just telling you from my perspective as a pastor, I, I have seen people's eternity changed because somebody else entered eternity too soon. I've seen it. I've seen people get hope because somebody else battled cancer. I've seen, I've seen people get hope because somebody else was abused as a child and then found hope in Christ and then used that to bring hope to somebody else that was abused. I, I, don't, I can't make sense of all the pain and evil. And all I can say is that maybe we weren't meant for this. And maybe God has a plan that is good. And he is going to restore this place one day. But until then, I am just, all I can do is say, God, I have to trust that you are good. But my situation's awful. And all I can do is lean into God. We want a God that will keep us from suffering. And God said, I'm not going to keep this world from suffering, but I will enter it. We want a God that's going to keep us from pain. And God said, okay, I'm not going to be able to keep you from all pain. Otherwise, you can't love. And otherwise, you can't experience all the things I want for you that is good. However, I will enter your pain with you. And that's what Jesus did. And it gives me a sense of, I don't know, it's just... It's nice to be able to know that we have a God that can empathize with our weakness, Hebrews 4 says, because he faced weakness like we face, but he did not sin. Jesus went through the worst pain, and he showed us how to process your soul pain, not to run from it, not to say it's okay, but to trust in God in that moment. I know that might be one of the hardest things you have to do. But I'm telling you, the reason why we have hope in our pain on Friday, can I say this? Is because of what happened on Sunday. The reason that we can look at Friday and say it is good because of what Jesus went through for me is because of what happened on that Easter Sunday when Jesus got up out of the grave and he defeated the hell, he defeated sin, he defeated death, he defeated the grave. And Jesus said, I've got the keys and I'm going to restore things and I will make things right. You can trust in a God who is just even if our world is not because he will. I want to ask if you would just stand to your feet for a moment. And I thought it would be appropriate leaning into this week, talking about our soul pain to take communion together as a church. And so I want to invite you, if you would, if you grabbed an element and you want to participate with that. And if you're online, if you want to get something from the pantry or just, just something like bread or water, or juice, just something because it's a symbol, it's, I just want to, I wanted us, as we talk about soul pain, to have a moment where not only do we lean into God in our pain, but we also remember what Jesus went through so that you and I could have that hope of good. And so I want to pray as we prepare to take communion and we'll do it together. If you just bow your heads and maybe close your eyes and pray with me in this moment. I just, this, this is a, a reverent moment, if you ask me, because 
There's nothing greater than what Jesus did for us. And I want to respect what he did for me in that moment. Father, I'm so grateful for the gift of Jesus. That you did not just remain in a place of perfection. But that you stepped down into our pain. Into our broken world. And that Jesus, you experienced soul pain for us. You know, as Jesus, uh, before this moment in the garden, he was with his disciples, the Passover meal, and he, he took the bread and he held it up and he said, this is my body. will be broken for you. And what Jesus was talking about was the pain he was going to face physically with the cross. And it's really about what he did for us. All of that ache of his soul and his pain That was God in flesh feeling what we feel and the weight of sin and our sin and other people's sin toward us. And in this moment, I just, I wanna say thank you to Jesus for it. Can we do that? Can we just say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your body. Thank you for going to the cross, for paying the penalty of my sin so that I can have grace. And so today as we take this bread, Let's do this in remembrance of his body. While he was still at the table, he grabbed a cup and he held it up and he said, this this is my blood. The cup represented his blood that was gonna be shed for us. You know, the Bible says that where there is no shedding of blood, where there is no blood shed. There's no remission for our sins. This is the moment on the cross that enables you and I to live a life where we can be free, forgiven, and right with God. Where we don't have to run from him, but we can run to him. And so as Jesus would hold up this cup, he was letting them know, as I give my life for you, this is how you will experience a right standing with the Father. And he did it through his blood. Let's take the cup together. Father, I just pray right now for every person that's carrying heartache. I pray, God, for every person who God has felt doubts and discouragement, disappointment, that has maybe landed in a place, God, where they have struggled to to trust in you, to even believe in you. God, I pray that even in this moment, that God, you would show us your presence, that you would show us that you're here with us, God. Show us that even in our pain, God, we are not alone and that you are with us.